Amen. Wonderful words of this hymn celebrating our neediness before the Lord. And it is a privilege once again to be with you tonight, uh, to gather once again around the Word of God. And uh, I ask you now to go to the Old Testament. This morning we were in the New Testament, and this evening we want to open the words of the Old Testament uh, just before the beginning of the New Testament in the section of the Minor Prophets. In particular, tonight we're going to see the first chapter of a minor prophet that is uh, a very short book, but it's, very, it's full of wisdom. And the name of this uh, book is Habakkuk. You will find Habakkuk among the minor prophets between Nahum and Zephaniah. Habakkuk. Uh, words of our text tonight will be from verse 1 all the way to verse 17. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surrounds the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And the Lord answered in verse 5, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For before, behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to the bow. They all come for violence, all their face forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep up by the, like the wind and go on. Guilty men, whose own might is their God. And Habakkuk now responds. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. 
Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Let us pray. O oh Lord, we see here the cry of the righteous. We see here, Lord, heavy words of judgment upon your people of Israel and the impending judgment that is upon them without them even realizing it. What a lesson for our days, Lord, this is. May you open our eyes tonight, Lord. Help me, Lord, to bring this message that is burdensome, Lord, but it's, it is applicable even for our days. And please, Lord Jesus, help us to see you as our only hope in the midst of circumstances in life we don't understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This afternoon I was having a conversation with uh, several of you and I was asked this question. If God is sovereign, why does he allow evil to happen in the world to seemingly people who are innocent? Why does God allow this? Why there is this delay of justice? There's even a TV show that a uh, series that recall true stories of real-life law lawyers and journalists who are trying to help people in obtain retrial, retrials, people who have been wrongfully convicted in judgment, and they are trying to help them to actually get justice. Because there is a thing in our human nature that wants justice, isn't there? And the question of the prophet Habakkuk is, is God delayed in his justice? And if God is just, but there's evil in the world, then what? What are we supposed to make of this? That is a question that many Old Testament books deal with. Most famously, Job. If you read the book of Job, it deals with that question deeply. If you read uh, the Psalm 73 by Asaph, it's very, very much dealing with this question. But an often overlooked passage is the prophet Habakkuk. He stands there among the minor prophets. But in this little book, this question comes and trying us to make sense of evil and delayed justice. I would call... What we see in this passage, almost a divine dialogue on the justification of justice, of God being justice. So, so before we dive into the text, which will be, your Bible perhaps already frames it, but it's three sections where Habakkuk comes with a complaint, God answers, and then Habakkuk has a second complaint. First, we want to see what is the context of this little book. Now, Habakkuk is among the minor prophets. He is dealing with messages he receives from God of a coming judgment. Israel is under punishment for their sin. And he speaks of the day of the Lord. Many minor prophets speaks of the day of the Lord. Which is for them and what happens with the exile and with the Babylonian coming in and destroying is a, a type of what is to come at the second coming of Christ. 
with the real day of the Lord. So Habakkuk uh, prophesied at the time of Jeremiah, and like Jeremiah, he prophesied to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, just before one of the Babylonian armies comes into Jerusalem to destroy the city of God and bring God's people into exile. So this is a very heavy moment for Habakkuk to actually preach. Because the northern kingdom of Israel, if you know your Old Testament history, had already been destroyed. The king of Syria, Persia, and all invasions all the way to the destruction of Samaria and have been gone and brought to exile. But Judah, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, was still standing on the brink of judgment. And so here Habakkuk is having some dialogues with the Lord over the things he's observing in this very, very tensions moment. God is described to us as a judge who stands on his throne. And the prophets, he's almost like an attorney, he stands and goes to the judge with doubts over what is happening, of the things he sees just before the nation is about to face the judgment of God. And so God, through the book of Habakkuk, wants to give us a justification of his ways, of the way he does with humanity. And the punishment, the just punishment that the God's people Israel have to bear for their sin, but also the punishment that God will give on the punisher, the instrument of the judgment, which is Babylon. They themselves shall be punished. But Habakkuk is an interesting prophet. Unlike all the other prophets, he is very much asking questions. Have you noticed already as we read the text? He asks questions. He's inquisitive. It's very insightful, like as I said, Job and Asaph in Psalm 73. His main dilemma is this. How can God allow the wicked to prosper? And how can I, as a believer, how can you keep the faith in a moment where society crumbles and everything seems to be disintegrating? How can you keep the faith in problematic circumstances? And the answer that we find here, friends, is that the crushed believer, that we, when we as believers are crushed over the circumstances around us, we must realize that delayed justice is no injustice for God. Just because there is a delay, it doesn't mean that God is unjust. That God in His timing will bring universal justice through what? First, chastising His church. Because God loves his church and he wants to purify it. And so he has to chastise and purify the church. But also he will judge the instrument of punishments themselves, which are the wicked, which are the unbelievers. And so let's now dig into this text. And we see, as I said, three sections. We have a question, an answer, and another question. So let's look at the prophet's first question. It is verses 1 through 4. The, the, the question that Habakkuk asked on the Lord is, God, will you judge? Will God judge? Will God rescue, in particular, the righteous? The book starts with a burden or an oracle. I like that burden word because, yes, this is a prophecy that Habakkuk is giving, but it's a burdensome dilemma that he's had with the the, the things he sees, 
and the heavy judgments he has to proclaim. So it is the burden that Habakkuk saw. And verse 2, how, how long shall I cry or cry to you? You see all the repetition. This text is full of repetition of the same thought in different words to show the discrepancy, the, the contrast between the things that God is, is just and good, but I also see violence and evil in the world. How long? How many times do I have to remind you that this is going on? Obviously, God doesn't need to be reminded. He knows very well, doesn't he? But the frustration in the believers sometimes can get there. Because the time and context where Habakkuk was ministering was a, a moment where the priesthood was corrupted. Where adultery and abuse was widespread in society. People were being robbed in the streets. And you will cry, thief, 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 and nobody will stop. I had something like that when I went to Africa. And they told me that in Nigeria, if you're in the street of Lagos and somebody steals you, I mean, the cops will look you right in the face and do nothing. Do absolutely nothing. And that's the, 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 the situation, the state of moral depravity that Judah, which is supposed to be the people of God, had reached. They were supposed to be believers. The southern kingdom of Israel, of Judah. They were supposed to represent God. And Habakkuk is looking at all this sin... And he says, God does not hear. Why? Why, O oh Lord? Second question is not only will God judge, rescue the righteous, but will God judge evildoers? Verse 3 and 4. Why do you make me see? Verse 3. It's almost like it's, why do you force me to look at iniquity, at sin? Why do you idly look at sin? Almost implying that God is tolerating sin. All these injustices, you stare them at in the face. Why don't you intervene, Lord? Destruction, violence, verbal violence. We spoke about this morning about tongue, splits. And in this case, it was an entire society. It's the politics, it's the civic authorities that are eh, being destroyed, it's the religious authorities that are destroyed. It is, this is the description of a society that is just about to head to judgment. Verse 4, what is the result of all this? That there's no intervention, so the law of God is paralyzed, is ignored, is powerless. The result of the silence of God over the unjust going on unpunishment, that the, 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 the unjust person is unpunished, then the law of God, it's incapable to function in its normal way. And why is that? Because the consciences of the people have, been have lost sensitivity toward what is wrong and what is right. Does that sound familiar? Give you a small example of this. Now we are in uh, Washington, D.C., the center of lawlessness. <laughs> but in our apartment, we got some neighbors, and they like smoking marijuana. 
and we told the owner. And apparently they can't do anything because now it's legal. The law is powerless. And I got a pregnant wife and we're smelling this stuff coming through and, and everyone does it. it. It turns out to be, when I went to Amsterdam, it was the same. Red light district, in the street, naked women, smoking marijuana everywhere. It's like it becomes the norm. It's acceptable. The law is powerless. So what, what here is described for us, it's a society where all the restraint of evil has been taken away. But what we don't realize is this is a, it's a sign. I mean, this is just before the exile, just before the collapse of a society. This is what happens. The wicked surround the righteous. Look at that in our text. Verse, uh, second part of verse 4. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted once again. They are triumphing over someone with threats. And they do evil to the person who is innocent. Those few who do not want to compromise, they let them have it. And what? And they go unpunished. And what happens? Everyone watches and they learn to do the same, even worse. There's no justice in the courts. No justice in, in politics. No justice in the family. No justice even in the Old Testament religious system. Everything was completely corrupt. That's the type of society that the prophet Habakkuk is describing. And the violation of the moral law of God brings people to get away with things. And when people get away with things and there's no punishment, then lawlessness follows. Because the law of imitation is stronger than the law of God. And people do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. Someone once says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere else. That's why justice is almost weak and useless. It becomes a joke. To even speak of justice, bribes, trickery, widespread. That's what Habakkuk is seeing in all sections of society. Even in the Old Testament religious system that was supposed to bring forth justice. And what is that a sign of? It's a sign that the end is near. It's a sign of judgment that is about to come down. Or worse, it has already started and we haven't noticed it. Where God refrains and takes away the restraints on society. But again, as the philosopher Blaise Pascal said, law without force is impotent. It becomes impotent. And that's where the law is not just a way that, yes, it leads us to Christ. Because it shows us that we are unworthy of heaven. But the law in the world, even, even in the, the, the society out there. Even among God believers, God has established that the law, through His grace, common grace, allows them to refrain evil. So that punishment of, of, of crime, it's a way that God restrains evil in society. And that's how the law of God is used. The problem is that when God takes it away, when God takes that function of the law away from society... And lawlessness follow. 
It's a clear sign that judgment is, is coming or is already here. And so, in the end, the dilemma of the Habakkuk is that delayed justice may appear to the crushed believer as injustice. Habakkuk is frustrated about this. Seems that God is delaying and vindicating and adjust. You might have faced crisis like this. Someone might have done something very mean to you, and he got away with it. Or maybe you open the news and you see iniquity in the high places everywhere. All sort of unjust. And it's like, where is everyone's brain gone? Nobody seems to care anymore. There's no end to it. Where is God in all this? And then you, you look at the recent scandals and evils that we see in the church. Leaders doing things wrong or, or even condemning the righteous and letting wicked people go unpunished. Whether it's in society, whether it's anywhere. And you hope for God to intervene, to bring justice. And it doesn't not happen. And you wonder, it's like, why does God even allow them to continue or even prosper? It doesn't make sense, doesn't it? But God is up to something here. What God is actually doing is he's creating in you the awareness that, that his judgment is actually right. He wants you to see that what, is, what, he, what he will do in terms of judging is justified. He wants you to feel what he feels. He feels, God feels the same about these things. These things are wrong. And my judgment that I'm about to bring is justified. You will see. That is the key. That God, look, God doesn't rebuke Habakkuk. And we'll see from verse 5 on. He doesn't rebuke him for his complaints. In fact, he shares in the disgust of the righteous over sin, taking over things. And he encourages us to tell to God what we don't understand about people doing wrong things to us. He understands our struggle. Have you been unjustly accused? Have you been hurt? Have you found situations where you were left to yourself and you wonder why, why, and why. God knows it. And He's full of sympathy with your agony. And it gives us the ability to actually see God is actually helping me to prepare me for what's ahead. It seems also in the eyes of the just when He suffers is that the delay in punishing the unjust, it's also a problem. It seems like God is delaying. I mean, you look at wickedness surrounding you from every side. But if God were to show you what actually is taking place, I think you will be led to despair. He doesn't show you the whole thing. He just shows you enough. Because I think in our, our weakness, we will be tempted to abandon the faith altogether. Only God and the sovereign hand of God bear the shoulder of that weight. Let him do that. Trust in him that he knows best. 
that God has a larger and broader concerns that, okay, you, uh, you have your own specific instance where this was wrong, but he has a far greater concern. And only his shoulders can bear it. God shows us only enough so that we understand as believers the reason why things might go the way they will. The reason why may judgment may fall upon a nation. That God is justified and all men are proved as liars. And therefore, it is not wrong to have a holy indignation. It is not wrong to battle again the, against the unrestrained wickedness that we will see growing in our Western societies. So now let's look, therefore, at the Lord's answer that we find in verses 5 to 11. God answers to, to Habakkuk. And God says, he answers with a complete yes. Absolutely. God will judge. Verses 5 to 11. And how does he judge? Verses 5 to 6, first of all, through an invasion. The answer of God is not as expected. God does not come to Habakkuk and answers his question. Notice. He goes in a far deeper level. God is doing something far greater than the specific injustice that Habakkuk sees. He is about to what? Look, he says. Which means, be attentive now. And look at the nations. Which means, I am about to bring a widespread and general destruction here. That everyone who will hear will be shocked of what is about to take place. It's almost like, brace yourself for a shock. You will be utterly shocked. I will do a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. If someone would have told you that there was a war in Ukraine a few, few months ago, you would not have believed it. That the entire world would have gone into this global pandemic, you would not have believed it. And the, the thing is, in your days, this is a foot away from their time. Can you imagine if people come and tell you, oh, the Titanic sinks, will sink before it happens. Or that World War II war was over. Or that an assassin kills J.F. Kennedy. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. It is enough to make a back who say, maybe... When, when Habakkuk receives these answers, he says, oh, Lord, maybe I should not have asked. Because this is far greater judgment than I can ever imagine. Verse 6, I am raising the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans were the enemies of God. Were the pagan nation, quick to conquer. They don't care of national borders, of international agreements. They don't care of sanction. They don't care about anything. And they will come and destroy. And they will do evil. And they will act wickedly. And in verse 7 to 11, we are given some of the characteristics of these invaders. They are terrible, dreadful. They, they proceed with dignity. They do whatever they like. They are a law to themselves. They will not receive bribes. They are unbeatable. Any opposition will melt before them. Is that when you are fighting against God, all your armies will retreat. Any opposition will melt. And it will result in what? In the exile. That the entire people of Israel that were at this point in Judah. And they were saying, oh, we are the nation of God. As they will be destroyed and brought to a deportation. Verses uh, 10 and 11 continues in their description of these invaders. But then there's a, a strange change in verse 11. 
Verse 11, then they sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty man was own might is their God. And now it's a switch from the they to the person he. And so some commentators wonder, who is he talking? Who is the he? Definitely not God. This is probably Nebuchadnezzar, which is the leader of the Chaldean, which is the instrument of God's judgment that, however, according to this verse, he will not be without punishment, which means God may sovereignly use wicked nations to punish his people, but then later he will punish those instruments as well for their own human responsibility. Yeah, God is sovereign. God is ruling over all this process, Habakkuk. Even above all your questions and doubts. But ultimately, everyone will bear their own responsibility for their transgressions. And so universal justice, friends. Universal justice is more important than our personal justice. That's what we see in this text. God has a far bigger and broader plan behind the things of this life that we don't understand. And we don't understand the way that our nation is going. God is about to do something far greater than our thoughts. God has a universal plan. God actually is answering Habakkuk by saying, I am exactly in all this. I am exactly at work in all this. Because I actually took away the restraint so that they continue to do evil. And then I bring about their punishment. Acts 13 verse 42 as a... Interesting verse, Acts 13, 40, 41, actually. Look, you scoffer, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days and a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. And in that occasion, he's quoting from this verse, but he's actually applying it to the gospel. That the gospel was about to go into the, all the ends of the earth. And those who were Israel, supposedly the people of God, rejected that gospel. So what if I told you that in a few years the entire world order will be completely overturned? What if I told you that this may happen? That, okay, you want me to display justice and there is an incredible shocking destruction that is implied, that is way beyond the borders of because when God comes down to judge he comes down to judge everything not just some things and so we should tremble friends it's not just a domestic problem he gives an international solution to the domestic problem and so we must be prepared when the hit comes that we not only look at the things before our nose but we look at like the pagan we fail to realize the larger picture. Pagans in this world can look only before the nose. We should look above to what God is at work in this world. Far greater sins of entire nations that needs to be dealt with. And God is working even in broader ways than you realize. And so friends, this is the time to repent. To turn away from our sins before it's too late. When Paul in Acts 13, 41 that I told you quotes this verse, he was quoting as a warning to those who were Jewish listeners, who thought they were part of the people of God. 
but they were neglecting and despising and marveling and perishing because they were denying the message of salvation in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. They thought they knew God, but they did not repent and believe through faith in Jesus Christ, the son of David. Instead, they were seeking the Jewish people salvation by their works. And to them, this text comes. So God has indeed a universal judgment. Do you see behind the weakening of our Western world that is happening? Something at play here? The military power, the exalting for a while, wicked nations, bringing devastations. And I know that there's a temptation here in North America of saying, you know, well, you know, America is the promised land. God will defend us no matter what. Well, you know, God doesn't owe us anything, okay? And if these people, if God doesn't do a work of revival, and I, I, I mean a real revival. And when I say revival, I don't mean like, you know, hits and dance. I, I mean tons and tons of people weeping and screaming for the Lord to have mercy on this nation. I mean, we are so concerned for the loss of freedom that we are facing, right? Loss of, for this or that tyrant going to hell or claim that, Oh, we can win them. We can do this. Don't you dare. We will come. Yeah, that is that kind of. Okay, it was present in the people of Israel at the time. But that was not what God was looking for. What God is actually looking right now is to surrender to him. Starting with your heart. Have you noticed how in these times, when there's time of war, everyone is ready to claim God on their side? And yet God has established even wicked nations for judgment. And he was calling people at the time of Habakkuk to surrender actually to the ordeal of God, even through that wicked mean. It is a sad thing. The destruction of the world as we know it. But God will judge. God is purifying his church day after day. And God has a universal justice even upon the tools of judgment, atten attention. Yet God allows tyrants, which are flourishing right now, but it doesn't mean that he agrees with them. It doesn't mean that they themselves one day, whether they boast in this or that religion or whatever, or their personal God, they will be judged. The point is, for a season, they are allowed as a form of judgment. Now, that's the reply of God. Let's look at the second question of Habakkuk, the remaining of our text. Verse 12 to 17. This is the prophet's reply, which is, Okay, God, you will judge, but who will you judge? Who will God judge? Verse 12 to 17. And the question and the dilemma seems to be an answer. So the Habakkuk speaks once again. He says, How can you be just and let the evildoers go unpunished, Lord? The question remains. I am not satisfied with the answer, it's almost Habakkuk's saying. And so he brings it to the next level. And this is the most beautiful part of our text. Habakkuk acknowledges that God is chastising the backsliding of Israel. And that is a just judgment. And it says, we shall not die. Verse 12, we shall not die. Because if you are a true believer, 
God will preserve you even through times of judgment. And, and, and those are only true believers who, are, who shall not die because it says, my God, those who call my God shall not die. And so this is where, for example, from these words, Martin Luther came up with an hymn, I don't, I shall not die, but I will live. And then later in chapter 2, the beautiful words, the just shall live by faith. So exile will not completely annihilate the people of God. Israel will be preserved. Judah will be preserved to the exile. God has ordained these Chaldeans as judgment. But the question of the prophet remains unanswered. Verse 13, why? You are too, why do you behold and look and tolerate because by not doing anything, it seems like, Lord, you are actually made, putting your sign of approval upon traitors. It's saying, do something about this, O Lord. Don't remain silent. How can you stand around and watch as the wicked swallow up the righteous? Man, I mean, why is God silent when the wicked men triumph over men that are more just than them? This is injustice once again. And this is a, a dilemma in the eyes of the fact that God is pure. Look at the text. You are of purer eyes than to see evil. And you cannot look at wrong. God is holy. God is described here in verse 13 as moral purity, which means he has no moral fault. He has complete perfection. He is separated from anything that is called sin. That is who God is. And so, therefore, Habakkuk says, how can you look on and tolerate evil? You are not supposed to even look at it because you are a purer. And it's intolerable because God and evil are incompatible opposites. So how do I make sense of this? The doubts of Habakkuk have not been resolved. My doubts remains. Yes, I understand we are facing judgment, Lord, but why? God is just. He, he, he must be unable to condone. This is the, the thinking of Habakkuk. But, or better, it's almost as, as if uh, uh, Habakkuk is saying, you look inactively upon injustice, and your silence over injustice seems to make no sense to me. And not only us... But also, why don't you punish those nations who are bringing evil? And, you know, when you will see what these nations are, are doing, it's like terrible, terrible, ruthless. But look at verse 14. Why do you make men like the fish of the sea, which are caught by the net of the Chaldeans? They're brought into exile. Remember, these are, in, imagine your family being taken away. Your husband is killed. Your the wife is raped, the children are taken away. That's what the entire nation of Israel had to face for their sin. And it says, without ruler. The nation stays without ruble, which means that the, a guy like Joe Biden is the best we get. God is actually the one who do, does this. It's a form of judgment once again. 
And what is the temptation is to think, okay, now these nations are wicked. They have taken over Israel. They have destroyed Jerusalem. And they're boasting and they're taking the credit for what they did. But again, God will turn the thing completely around. And then he will judge Babylon. As you know, the history of Babylon, it will remain a heap of ruins afterwards. It will be a kingdom of jackals, which means uh, a ruin. Habakkuk is wondering who will punish the punisher. God has the answer. And so what we take here, friends, as David Wilkerson, famous preacher, has says, God has never in the history of mankind allowed his name to go on long offended. He comes down. He comes down. And justice still seems to be delayed so for the crushed believer. But it applies also to those who will judge Israel. Like, what about those who, will, who judge God's people? What about them? Lord, I know you will judge, but I know, I know, I know, but... Yes, we have, we have sinned, but look at them. They, they're far more sinners than us. And yet they're bringing us into exile. But friends, God's holiness is the standard. You, what is God's holiness? Verse 12 and 13. You have pure eyes than to see evil. Which means that in, in light of the holiness of God, we all are worthy of judgment. All of us. It is okay to compare yourself with the wicked so-and-so, but as you compare yourself with the standard of God, that's where the truth comes of who you are. And in light of that, we are all flawed. God does not allow sin, and God punishes sin. But when He punishes, He punishes all sins. And so... He will either punish with an eternity of torments in hell forever or he punishes his own beloved son at the cross because it is there where once and for all God has dealt with this issue of justice. And he himself, the just, unjustly condemned for a wiser plan, which is the salvation of anyone who will turn in faith and repentance toward him. There is a greater justice. In fact, the greatest justice can come out of the worst injustice that you can ever think. That the Son of God is put to death through evil means, through Pilate, through Kaifa, through all these evil, wretched people. God is still all-wise. And so as a church, we have to realize, yes, we deserve God's chastisements. But we are not like the world. His chastisement is meant to lead us to repentance. And what about the character of God? We see here that God is perfect. He's holy. He's purer than anything in this world. That the whitest and brightest school that you can ever imagine. And yet there is evil in the world, right? And this is the dilemma from a merely human standpoint, you cannot make sense of it. It seems like delayed justice, but God is using a wicked nation and He's sovereignly accomplishing His purpose. And even the enemies of God, 
God will judge everyone, friends. There will be no way of escape. Just because now they're singing big, God is still on the throne. He will bring the last judgment and the tools of judgment who might be arrogant at the present, but they're only his tool. They're, they're little tools when you play chess. That's, that's how God is moving the, the, the pieces. Nothing more. One day they will give an account for their giving glory to themselves. But you focus on trusting in his sovereignty. Even in the midst of years, and I'm telling you, years and generations that we might face as the world will not look, be as it was until now. And so, friends, the ultimate answer to this question of the justification of divine justice is found actually not in our text, but in chapter 2. And I just want to briefly look. We're done. Verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 2. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. That means the just shall live by faith. That is the answer to this dilemma. I got to live by faith. Lord, I do not understand your providence over my life and my past and justice. I do not understand why everything seems to be going south and not just south in terms of Tennessee, but south in terms of bad. But I put my faith in your sovereignty, in your all-wise, imperscrutable will. I cannot understand it. I cannot see beyond. Just like Job, he had to come to the point, Lord, I spoke of things I didn't know. I put my mouth in the dust. And I recognize that God does not overlook sin. That the unjust will be justly punished in the end. And that this thing can be solved not just through the punishment like God could yes come in and 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 kill us all but there's something better which is salvation repentance and faith that those who were wicked may be turned into righteous through faith through faith becoming true believers otherwise their condition will be no different the only reason friends why me and you are different from the rest it is by grace alone through faith alone Otherwise, we'll be, if God abandons us to ourselves, we will be no different. And so if evil seems to triumph here below, God is still at work, friends. There may look a delay on our timeline, but God, in God, one day is a thousand years. Same thing. And how do we display this faith? How do we mature in this faith? We recognize that God sooner or later will establish his righteousness in this world. He will. He will bring. We've got to trust the Lord despite the chaos that we see and we will see increasing. Even, you know, I look at my children like, what future? I don't know. But we've got to trust the Lord. Keep walking in integrity and not joining in the same crowd that face judgment just because you know, the law goes, goes south. It doesn't mean that we, we must imitate them. We stick with the word of God. That our ultimate vindication is in heaven. That if we call for God to send down judgment, it will actually affect all of us. Do you realize that? I don't think that Abba could realize this. 
Lord, how long, how long, how long? And then God gives the answer, oops, I'm in this boat. And if this boat sinks, I'm sinking with them. It will actually affect all of us since we too are sinners. But if you believe in Jesus, if you embrace Christ, recognizing in Him the one who bore your judgment, then our cry for justice moves from a why me, Lord, why me, Lord, why me, Lord, to why not me, Lord. And out of that comes transformation. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. From this little book of Habakkuk, often neglected and yet full of wisdom for us, helping us to see a window of time in the past, but also applicable for today, a society that where evil flourishes, Lord, where once your truth stood so firm, evil widespread, and we don't understand. But Lord, you have a far greater plan than we can ever think. And indeed, you will sometimes even use wicked, tyrannical means, Lord, to bring about the chastisement and the purification of your church. And Lord, we stand saying, Lord, please, may those who are faithful to be found standing flourish. May you protect your church. May you purify your church. May you help us, Lord, to really trust in you. Trust that the just live by faith. And Lord, that we can live by trusting in you and relying upon your work, finished work at the cross. Because indeed you bore the last judgment. And prepare us, Lord. Prepare us for whatever you have in store for us. And may you help us to be a light wherever we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.